The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. But turn now with me in your copy of God's Word to Mark 13. Mark 13 is where we pick up in verse 24. We left off there last week, and we continue to make our journey through the book of Mark there in verse 24. And... uh, if you're here with us last week, you know what we're talking about the end. Here in, in uh, Mark 13 is uh, what is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And so Jesus is giving some instructions uh, to his disciples right before they leave. You know, in, in my home, and I imagine it's probably uh, this way in uh, many of your homes, if you still have school-aged children in your home or you can remember back on these days, but on most weekday mornings, uh, there might be a routine that goes something uh, like this. Maybe you get to take your kids to school with you, and as you, you drive there uh, and drop them off, you say something like, I love you, I'll see you after school, or I'll see you when I get home from work. Maybe you uh, leave before your kids and you head off to work, but as you are uh, departing and heading out the door, you uh, wish your spouse and your kids, I love you, and I'll see you when I get back home from work. You know, we leave, we leave them with statements of both affection and expectation. Does that happen in anybody else's home, or is that only in mine? Some are like, man, I guess I forget to say I love you. Hey, you can start that now this week. Application number one, <laughs> say I love you. But they, we leave with these statements, with these expressions of our affection and uh, expectation of our uh, return and our uh, reunion back together. And in Mark 13, this is uh, what Jesus is doing with his disciples. You know, he's about to be crucified. As you look at the timeline of Jesus' life, this is Wednesday night and he will be uh, crucified in just a couple days. And so he is preparing them for his departure and his return. And so Uh, Like we saw last week when we uh, started the chapter, if you weren't here, you can go online and listen or or to our podcast and listen to that. But back in verse four, his disciples ask Jesus two questions that basically are, when will these things happen and what signs should we be looking for? Last week, uh, Jesus answered the uh, signs portion first, how to understand them and then what to do when we see them. And so they ask when and what signs and Jesus answers them in reverse order, uh, first beginning with the signs. And now today in the latter half of this teaching here, Jesus addresses the when and the how of his return. And so if you're wondering now, and if maybe you were here last week and you're waiting and you're like, okay, now we finally know. Well, I'm just gonna tell you up front. um, I've calculated all the things. I've looked through all the signs and I don't know. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't have a date for you. I don't know when he's going to return, but uh, uh, I will uh, read it with you. And I will explain it to you what Jesus tells us about his return and what we can look for. So you wanna read it with me? Should we do that? Should we let God's word speak for itself? Let's do that. Mark 13, we'll pick it up in verse 24 and read the rest of the chapter. Here, listen as I read it. It says this, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know what the, when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word for God's people. So how do we sum up Jesus' explanation here? When is he coming back? Well, here's how we can sum it up. If you're taking notes, Jesus could return at any moment. Jesus could return at any moment. As we read this, as we, Jesus answers the question, he just really leaves us with some expectation that he for sure is going to return. Can I get amen, right? He's going to come back, right? Amen. His return uh, is what we expect, and we are to live a life expectant that he will come back. Just as our kids expect our eager return from work as they uh, look forward to our return, at least I hope they do, so too Jesus could return at any moment. And this is where we get the doctrine of imminence. You heard that word before? The imminent return of Christ. It's a big word. It's dictionary.com defines it as likely to occur at any moment. It's impending. Impending and imminence literally just means that, that he could come at any moment. He could come at any moment. It's like, you know, when uh, uh, an Amazon package is about to arrive. And they typically come at a certain time of day if you've tracked their patterns. And so uh, there are days, you know, we've ordered something at the church here and we're just waiting for it. It's imminent. It's impending. It could come. It could arrive at any moment. Now that's just Amazon uh, for us. But grandparents, right? Yeah, maybe you've, you as a grandparent and you know you're, you're coming and your grandkids are waiting. They're expectant of your uh, arrival. It, it could happen really at any, any time. And this is important for us just as we begin here to understand this, this idea of imminence or Jesus coming at any point here. Um, because it's, it is, well, maybe as we've talked about the end, you've probably encountered various uh, views about the end times, right? Amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, and then there's all different kinds of flavors of, of premillennial and stuff. Anybody familiar with those terms? And I'm not, we're not gonna necessarily go uh, through all of those uh, today. I know Kate and I would be happy to walk through those and, uh, with you and to recommend some resources uh, because it can really make your head hurt um, as you're talking about uh, all the different things. But here's what, why I bring it up, because despite the differences, one den- undeniable tenet of Christ's return is that it could happen at any point. The consistent witness of the scriptures is that his return could happen at any point. There's nothing standing in the way of Jesus' return. It's not as if he's like waiting up there uh, in heaven uh, for us to get our act together. 
He's like, well, if these humans would just kind of like clean up their act, if they would just kind of like make the earth ready for me to come back, then, then I will, uh, then I'll come, right? He's not just waiting for us in that way. He is uh, going to come when he deems necessary. And so it's futile for us. It's futile for us to set dates, to read into global politics, to speculate about government leaders when Jesus really could come uh, from any, mom- uh, any moment. And what it appears here as we read this text, we're gonna get into it a-, a little closer here. It appears from the text that we're not really in any danger of missing it. If we are alive when that happens, we're, uh, it seems pretty unmistakable, doesn't it? As, as we see these events here, I don't think that we will be caught off guard necessarily when it does happen and it is right before us. And so uh, first, Jesus describes his return this way, that it will be glorious. For taking notes, that it will be glorious. And so uh, in verse 24 here, really, let's look at it, at this glorious return of Christ. He continues this witness here that these things will happen after, you see that in verse 24, after the tribulation. So all those signs that Jesus talked about first, those signs of havoc and hostility and horror that are uh, to come after these things, then Christ will return. And it says the sun will be darkened, there be no moon, no stars. You'll see Jesus coming in power and glory. Great power and glory, it says in verse 26. It's hard to fathom what this exactly looks like. I mean, we can, uh, we, we can kind of try to, you know, put it into picture. We can try to draw. We can try to make movies about it. We can try to explain it. But I think, really, it is hard to fathom what exactly this will look like as the angels then come out, as he gathers his elect to him. And now these are, there's, there's a lot of things in here, right? There's a lot for us to untangle about this. There's a lot, like even as we talk about his elect, well, what is he talking about here? And this is, and we saw it a couple times last week, and this is the only time that Mark actually uses this term to refer to those whom God has sovereignly chosen by his mercy. It's a term of great uh, grace as God has uh, uh, come and, and as he gathers to him his children, as he goes to the ends of the earth here, really, to the four winds all across the globe from every tribe and tongue and nation, and as he uh, plucks his children, his elect, as he calls them here, out of their depravity and and graciously, mercifully saves them. this This is a time of great glory, a time of great power, and a time of, as we look here, it seems to be a time of great darkness. A time of great darkness. And why the darkness? Well, this seems, this description here that Jesus is, is uh, teaching us is not anything new. As a matter of fact, it's really the consistent witness of Scripture. As you uh, look across the prophets, as you look at Jesus' teaching here and, uh, and through the epistles into Revelation, you see this, uh, these descriptions of a, of a time of, uh, of uh, in the heavenly beings of darkness and cataclysmic events happening that I don't know that we have uh, any sort of ability really to explain. Try as we might. Here's a, just one example of the, uh, of the prophets. If you go to the book of Zechariah, anybody read Zechariah lately? Maybe not. It's, 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 if you're flipping back there, if you just go backwards in your Bible, we're in Mark, if you go to Matthew and then you'll be in your Old Testament, then you have Malachi and then Zechariah. 
Zechariah is actually a really uh, accessible book. I really like this. You know, sometimes you get into the weeds of, of Isaiah and Ezekiel, and they can seem kind of daunting, right? Seems, it seems maybe overwhelming you get in those books, like 66 chapters in Isaiah. How in the world am I going to read uh, those chapters? Well, one at a time. You'll just keep <laughs> plowing your way through it. But Zechariah is uh, uh, in much the same way uh, prophetic like the book of Isaiah, and yet I would submit to you that it's very accessible. Here's Zechariah, this prophet, his uh, description of this day about 500 years before uh, Jesus himself is describing it. Zechariah 14, verse four. It says, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Now this is, he's talking about the return of Christ here. His feet, the Messiah's feet, uh, Christ our Lord's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And so just as a pause here, this is why as you see uh, modern pictures of the Mount of Olives, you know, we've talked about this. Jesus was standing, he's on the Mount of Olives right now talking about this day. Um, the, The Mount of Olives currently is a graveyard. It's just a big cemetery as, uh, as many have bought their own grave sites uh, over the centuries here so they would have literally like a front row seat to the return of Christ. Now they've missed the Messiah. It, it's actually quite sad, uh, but that's the reason why it's from this verse here. So let's continue on. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. What does that sound like? That sounds like what we talked about last week, right? As people are fleeing for their lives. But here's verse six, you'll see the parallels to what Jesus just described. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. This is Zechariah's description of these same events that Jesus is uh, only reiterating, only talking about in much the same way. And so you get to Jesus, but then after Jesus, uh, his uh, disciples, the apostles, pick up on this same thing as well. Here this uh, later written after the fact by uh, Peter in 2 Peter 2, chapter 3, verse 10, and he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so these are just a a, a sampling of the scripture's teaching on this day, these days when uh, when there will be darkness, when the day of the Lord will uh, will be upon us and a day of really unspeakable glory will be brought upon us. The darkness of the earth, here, mark this, y'all, the darkness of the earth will make the glory of Christ shine even brighter. Why is it dark? Why are all these things happening? Well, think back just a few chapters when we saw the transfiguration of Christ on that dark mountain. As he went up, as we just got a little, uh, as if the curtain was just taken back to see the glory of Christ, his light shone so brightly. His clothes looked bleached as if Nobody on earth could bleach them. And we got a glimpse of his glory. In the same way that uh, as you wake up in the morning and your bedroom is nice and dark and your spouse flips on the lights and blinds you. That never happens at my house, by the way. (laughs) Truthfully. But in that same way, 
the glory of Christ will shine in the darkness. It will be unmistakable. Only then will his power and glory be displayed for the world to see. It's truly an unparalleled event. And this glorious event could happen really at any moment. It could happen at any moment. And, and he gives us some lessons here. He gives us the lesson of a fig tree, of when to expect it, of when to, he uses a lesson from creation to talk about how we will know when he is to come. And providentially, uh, Aaron and I got a fig tree this week. It's from my father-in-law, actually. Some of you might be wondering, like, what? This isn't a very, you know, beautiful decoration for the stage, you know? Maybe you noticed it, and you're like, they, they need some... This is pretty barren. This doesn't really add to the stage decor here. But we got a fig tree. My, my father-in-law gave us a fig tree. Last time he came, uh, a month ago or so, he gave us an avocado tree. This time, uh, my in-laws came to help us while Aaron had pneumonia, and uh, in their departure, they left a, a, a fig tree here for us. And it's very thankful, and it's, we see it in the passage. And so this is what a fig tree uh, in its barren state looks like. If you get up here closer, you can start to see some of these buds and different things that are popping out here. But uh, soon, Aaron and I are gonna have a full-on orchard in our backyard um, <laughs> as they continue to, uh, to come and, and to visit us. But why is this significant? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, the fig tree, unlike other breeds uh, uh, of trees, lose their leaves in the winter time. And then in the spring, when most trees begin to uh, put out their fruit, they begin to uh, bud and things, the fig tree is a little bit later. Just as the summer is approaching, they begin to shoot out their massive uh, leaves here. And so this has uh, some time to, uh, actually before it begins to, 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 to bloom. We're, we're currently at our house trying to figure out where we're going to plant it and um, what's going to be the best use of it because I want it to live. But I got to learn how to I got to learn how to grow a fig tree uh, before. <laughs> but what a special reminder this is! What a special reminder that the fig tree is that the coming of the Lord is near and that it will be glorious, more glorious than a tree as it begins to bloom and puts out its leaves and puts out its flowers and begins to bear its fruit will be the glorious return from uh, return of the Lord. Do you need a reminder in your life? Do you need a, that consistent reminder that better days are yet ahead? Then I would just suggest to you, much like Jesus is doing here for us, to get outside, to look to the trees as they proclaim the glory of God. As you're stuck in your chaos, as you're stuck in your situation, then one of God's means for you could be to just get outside, especially in a day like today, and see the beauty of God, even in the barrenness of the trees, and to have that expectation that these two will bloom and your life too. God has better days yet ahead for you. These proclaim the glory of God. And as you begin to see the blooms come out, you know that he is near. That he is near, that he is, as verse 29 says, at the very gates. It's very interesting as Jesus begins to talk here and to uh, describe his glorious return, he, he, he begins to talk about the generation and those things that will pass away and those things that will not pass away. And so as he's speaking and writing of those that will be alive in the time of the tribulation, well, how will they know when they see these signs coming, when they see, begin to see the things blooming, they know that the Lord is very near. And so there's lessons for those, that generation that will be uh, alive in those days in the time of tribulation and there's lessons for us here today as we find ourselves stuck, as we find ourselves uh, losing hope in a situation. 
we find our hope in the word of God that will not pass away. The certainty of the words that Christ has spoken, not only here, but all throughout the book that we hold in our hands. You know, as we follow the reasoning, the chronology of this generation, this is whom he's speaking of as that generation. There's caused some confusion as to whether he's speaking to those uh, here, like if he's talking to his disciples, those alive in these days in that first century, or to those that are uh, alive then. And I think that when he's speaking of here, the, the, that he's speaking to the generation then, uh, that makes the most sense. That these cataclysmic events, that they will be limited to that place and time as we see the mercy of God. This is a day here that uh, even that creation longs for. Do you know that? That even creation longs for the time when this will happen. Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning for this day, when they will be released from the corruption and the effects of sin. This doesn't mean that we are just given free reign to trash our earth, but we bear stewardship. We bear a stewardship of, of the earth. And so as we look forward to this day, you know, we don't have to go overboard in our protection of the earth, but we do bear a stewardship. See, the only imperishable thing in this wor- world, the only imperishable thing, mark this, in existence is the word of God. Generations pass away, heavens and earth, even uh, are, are the celestial uh, heavenly hosts of the stars and the moon, they will pass away, but Christ's words will not pass away. Aren't these comforting words for us? Aren't these comforting words? See, one commentator, as Jesus begins to proclaim these things, he says, for Jesus to assert that his words will outlive heaven and earth is a remarkable claim of authority. It's an authority that he has demonstrated all his life, time and time again, as he has been tested time and time again. And so we should expect nothing less in regards to the future events. So what are we to do with all this? What are we to do with his glorious return? Well, here's the takeaway. We're to get ready. We are to get ready to live in light of the future, to have a single-minded purpose for gospel living. See, as we think about Jesus, his glorious return, we can just wonder, okay, well, what are we to do with all this? What are, how, what are we to make of all these details? Ever, people, uh, they disagree on it. So what, what, like, well, what, are, what do you want us to do, Jesus? You told us these things, so what are we to take away from it? We are to get ready. To get ready. See, the apex of Mark, the, of this book of Mark, was in chapter eight when Jesus called us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to what? To follow him. And so thoughts of the future, they, they teach us to live obediently even now, to live lives marked by holiness. Think of this here, just if you want to, you can flip back here, but remember that passage in Mark eight when Jesus is talking about uh, if anyone would deny himself, it came right on the heels of, of, his, of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. It came after that, and, and then they come to him, and they said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is Mark eight thirty four. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
So what's he referring to there at the end? Verse 38, he's referring to the events that we're just now reading about when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. See, thoughts of the end motivate present faithfulness. They motivate us to live for holiness now. In 2 Peter 3, as I just read it, he says that those who would therefore go on living a holy and godly life without spot and without blemish and at peace. See, as we think about the end, it motivates us to live for the Lord even here and now. So I ask you, are you saved? Have you turned to Christ in repentance and faith? Do you stand today without spot or blemish? That's a big question. That's a big question. Well, no, who can be without spot and blemish? Only Christ. Only Christ. And this is the glory of being saved, that he alone is our plea. And as he calls us to come after him, to deny ourselves and to die to ourself, we need not fear. So we can come and live a holy life now. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? We, how do we ready ourselves for holiness? So it's by living a worship-filled life. Of prioritizing the gathering of what we've just done here. Of coming and singing songs, of, the, uh, of reminding ourselves of Christ's return. How do we ready ourselves now? We devour the eternal word so we are not devoured by our enemy thus filling our mind with the glory of God, thus uh, training ourselves for godliness. And so we train because we really never know when we might be called upon to play. And so this is what Jesus does and which leads us really to the second point, the second way that Jesus describes his return. Not only will it be glorious, but it will be sudden. It will be sudden. Look at verse 32 with me. Who alone knows of the day or the hour when these things will happen? Who is it, church? The Father. That's f- the Father. Look at the verse 32. It's concerning that day. No one knows. And so that's like, anytime if you encounter somebody who's like, oh yeah, well, I've got it figured out. You know, you see those, like, those calendar people, they map it all out, and in you know, 2021, on May 31st or something, Jesus is going to go, well, no, no, no one knows. It's pretty inclusive language here. Not even the angels in heaven you think, well, if somebody has a front row seat to, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the worldwide calendar, they might know. But it says then here, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so this is, this is maybe confusing. Well, Jesus didn't even know. Does he know now? We'll hear these words from a commentary that I've read this week. This is John MacArthur's commentary. He says, by including himself, this is Jesus, in that statement, As one who did not know the exact timing of his return, the Lord Jesus was not denying his deity. Rather, he was acknowledging the self-imposed restraints of his divine nature. In his humiliation, God the Son voluntarily restricted the exercise of his divine attributes and prerogatives, submitting their use to his Father's will and the Spirit's direction. Though he demonstrated supernatural knowledge and understanding on many occasions throughout his ministry, the Lord limited his omniscience to what the Father revealed to him. After his resurrection, Jesus resumed the full knowledge he possessed from eternity past as the second member of the Trinity. Now that was kind of a mouthful, right? 
And so there's some confusion here. Well, what did Jesus know? Because as we look at other things, Jesus had some pretty divine perception about the things that were happening in his life. John actually goes out of his way in his gospel to point out all the things that Jesus did know. As a matter of like the next day when Jesus will be betrayed, it says Jesus knowing all that was about to happen to him. Like he, he wasn't just completely limited, but in this sense, he was limited to the divine calendar. And so he, and uh, his time on earth, he did not know, but let me tell you, he knows now. But no one knows the day or the hour. And so what is our call? It will be sudden. And so what did we see repeated here to stay awake? You see that three uh, times uh, we see this phrase, stay awake, once keep awake. And so what do you think that he wants us to do here? He wants us to stay awake. He wants us to stay awake. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean to stay awake? It means to be alert. It means to be ready. It means to be hopeful. And the situation that I explained earlier is, as uh, it maybe happens in your household every single day, it means that we look forward when he gives these signs as to when these things will happen. See, at my house, when it's around uh, five o'clock, 5.30ish or so, and I begin to come pull in, there's a little face that's looking out the window, awake and alert and ready for her dad's return. That little one right there. She'll be there waiting. She's watchful. She's on her guard. She knows about the time, even though she can't tell the time. She knows about the time that I come back. And so she is eager and hopeful, staying up there, watching on her guard for the return that was promised that morning. And so the fact that this could come at any point, even in the night, is meant to be a, a motivator for us as believers to be watchful. Look at the, the, the illustration he gives here in verse 34, a man going on a journey. It's very similar to what we just talked about. He leaves home, he puts servants in charge, each with his work, all right, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for we do not know when he's going to come back. And he lists out then these four watches of the night, you know, six to nine, nine to midnight, midnight to three, three to six, some point in there where he could come at any point. And so to stay awake means then to get after it, to be mindful, to be alert. See, thoughts of his return are like espresso shots perking us up when life gets lethargic. Thoughts of his return are, are what enhance our clarity when life gets blurry. They, it, it sharpens our focus when life gets distracting. See, when we lose purpose, when we, when we have too many options before us, it is the thought that Christ is going to return that gives purpose and, and, and mission to our life. And so, like a shot of caffeine, like the effects of that handcrafted cup of coffee that you have, are what thoughts of Christ's return are meant to do in our life. And I'm afraid that some of us, some of us at different seasons, maybe even right now, have become too sleepy in our walk with Christ. We're just going through the motions. We're lazy in our discipline. We're making excuses for our lack of prayer. We're, we're, we're blaming others instead of taking responsibility. We're talking about how busy we are. We waste hours sleeping with our eyes wide open in front of a screen. And so here, as we think of the end of the timing of Christ's return, Jesus is beckoning us to stay awake, to get after it, 
to stay awake, beloved. The time is short. We know not when our number will be called. We know not when the master will return. We must get after it. We, we, We must stay awake, beloved. The years we have with our kids are flying quickly by. They grow before you know. Let's disciple and get after it. Let's stay awake, beloved. Our city thrives, yet it is dying. The multitudes move here, are lost, and they're looking for a place to belong. And so let's say, welcome home. Invite them into the work that Christ is doing among us. Let's get after it. Let's stay awake, beloved. Our nation crumbles in hate and unbelief while we hold in our hands gospel love and gospel faith. Let's get after it. Stay awake, beloved. Our friends and family need our vigilant prayers. They need our hopeful encouragement. They need our faithful presence. They need the overflow of our Holy Spirit filling. They need the the thoughts that we've learned from the word of God. So let's get after it. Stay awake, beloved, in the love of Christ and the expectation of his return. Are you awake? Are you mindful? Are you hopeful? of Jesus' glorious, sudden return. A day that could happen at any moment, a day that will bring great hope for us as we think to the end and and of what it will mean for us who are his beloved. Are you mindful of his affection? Are you expectant of his return? See, Jesus said as he was to leave, he said, I have to leave for a while, but I'll be back. My departure will be brutal, but it is necessary for your sake and for mine. I won't be gone completely as the Spirit remains, but I'll be back. In the meantime, stay awake. Let's get after it. And remember, you are loved. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, these are startling words. They're sudden. They're uh, maybe even unexpected. And yet the call for us remains the same, Lord. You're so good. You're so gracious to put these before us. To give us a little glimpse, Lord. Let us not get lost in the details. Let us not get caught up and sidelined by the, by, by the things that we don't understand, Lord. But even as we look to your glorious, your great return, Jesus, would you uh, help us to get ready and to get after it? That the time already passed, Lord, we know. The time already passed is uh, enough for us to just be going through the motions, living for ourselves but now the time is before us with undivided attention to be living for your glory. So Christ, thank you for putting these words before us. They can be hard, they can be uh, confusing. We confess that. but would thoughts of your return be the steadying uh, confidence that we need to live even today? 
And so, God, we worship you. We worship you now as a, a means of preparation for what we'll be doing for eternity when we with the hosts of heaven will be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's in Christ we pray now. Amen.